welcome to Melanated Conversations, our narrative and our perspective. Here on the podcast, we are amplifying the voices of Black women and sharing their powerful stories of transformation. I'm Tarian. And I'm Yana. Let's start the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. This is another episode of Melanated Conversations. Yes. I'm your host, Yana. And I'm your co-host, Tyrion. And uh, we're here. Yes, guys. We have a very special treat for you guys Mm -hmm. today. Uh, We have... um, a, oh gosh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm so excited. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> no, we really, we have a special treat for you guys. We yeah. have Constance G. Jones. Don't forget the G. You better say the G, okay? <laughs> Please say the G. <laughs> uh-huh. We have her on the podcast today. Yeah. Um, she's actually going to share a little bit about her story. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a memoir that she um, is releasing soon. Yeah. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about that. But first, kind of want to give you a little bit of an overview of Constance and her yeah. story. Yeah. So Constance G. Jones is the co-founder of Elevate Foundation and author of Emerging Butterfly. Constance was raised in San Diego in the 80s and was born to be a Californian dreamer. The fourth of nine children in a poor dysfunctional family, she grew up with three demons in her household, alcohol, abuse, and absence. She buried her dreams in the dark cocoon of her childhood. As a teenager, an accident appended her her world and cursed her with ep- epilepsy for the rest of her life. Entering adulthood, Constance hoped she'd left the worst behind her. Instead, toxic relationships, misguided spiritual teachings, and close calls with death nearly broke her. Constance discovered curses can hide blessings in their inner layers. Instead of breaking, she chose to break free. Realizing her heart could sprout wings to take her into the direction of her wildest dreams. And a mesmerizing mar that is by turns heartbreaking and heartwarming. Writer and philanthropist Constance Grace Jones retraces her precarious journey through truth, love, community, and self-discovery. Tackling issues of epilepsy, depression, infertility, and family drama with refreshing sass, humor, and compassion. She reminds us that we are products of our past, but also the creators of our purpose. Her inspiring story is a wake-up call for the soul, showcasing the tenacity of the human spirit, the pockets of sunlight in the darkest corners, and a transformational power of belief and love. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners everywhere, welcome Constance G. Jones. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Our live studio audience. Yes, welcome, Constance. We're yes. so excited to have you with mm-hmm. us today. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm really excited to be here with you today and talk about, you know, a little bit about me and my story and just share with you. It's exciting. Get to know you. Yes. So, Constance, as part of our show, we always like to kickstart things with a little round of rapid fire questions. Mm-hmm. Pew, 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 pew. pew. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're making me a loner. So, <laughs> there, so we'll answer these two. So yes, yes, we feel like this is a part of the show where we can really be fun mm-hmm. with our guests. So yes, yeah, so let's actually get into it. Ready? Let's do it. All right. Well, first question I have for you. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Mm. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. You know who I really like? I like Regina Hall. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I can see that too. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Is there a re- so like funny. is there a reason why you pick Regina Hall? she's sassy but she's funny and she's down to earth but you know and she's really smart the whole package i like i like her a lot good answer Mm -hmm. okay yana i'll I'll let you go first excuse me okay well i ain't gonna hold (laughs) y'all she holds it down for the ladies that's under five five feet okay Miss Miss Jada Pinkett Smith, okay? Listen, yes. Who else was going to play me? You know what I'm saying? I am I am very short in stature. I'm, I'm not even five feet tall. And, you know, Jada's just got that. It's kind of like Regina Hall. Like he said, she's got that sass. She's witty. But she's got some depth to her, too. She's, you know, she's no nonsense. Um, and obviously she's a professional. She's got some great work behind her. So I, I'm going with Jada, Jada Pinkett okay. Smith. Yeah. Yanni, you got somebody? Oh gosh, this is a really hard question. <laughs> is it really that hard? It really is hard. I mean, you know, it takes a special person to be, you know, to play me. <laughs> oh my, y- you, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, what do you mean by that? I, I, you're special. Gosh, can I not compliment you? Oh, okay. I'm gonna say special, but I didn't want to say it. I, I didn't know how that would come off. <laughs> special. Oh no. Oh gosh, there's so many. You must. You have a Rolodex of people. I do have a Rolodex. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I don't know, you guys. I could go from. Sanaa Lathan was one of them. That's a good one, Yana. Taraji. Okay. Miss mm-hmm. Angela Bassett. I knew, that's, yeah, Ooh. I knew it. I knew she was going to get mm-hmm. named. Just, oh gosh, I don't, I don't know. Those These are, are so all good. Ne- oh, Nia Long. Nia Long. Ooh. Yes. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. That's a really good choice. Girl. Issa. Be my round card, Issa Rae. I feel like she is. Yeah, I would say Issa Rae because that she is me and I am she, her. You yeah. know what? <laughs> and even though I was gonna say, I know she's like she's known right now for for her com- comedic side, yes. and I and I think she and she's obviously a great writer. You know, there's something about comics yeah. that they can mm-hmm. they have range, and I would love to see Issa in a serious role, like in a biopic role, yeah. like where she's Issa. Yeah. Yes, call me, girl. We can talk about it. What's up, Issa? <laughs> I can see that as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was you a good play one. a little bit serious role. I think that would be interesting. Y- yeah. yeah. All right. Let's do another one. Okay, Constance. Book or movie? Book, always. Why book? Um, Because I feel that you get to use your imagination a bit more. And so you can really create a picture and it's like you're, you're creating your own movie 
um, yeah. based on what you're reading. So, you know, you're, you're, it's the sky's the limit on what you can do. And it gives really, really great descriptions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're able to paint a picture, you know, that's why a lot of times people say, Oh my gosh, the book was so much better than the movie because you're using your imagination. No one's telling you exactly what to see, you know, or what that character looks like. You're able to put that together yourself. And I think that. Um, that makes you relate a little bit more to the story. So I will always be able to immerse myself in a book. And when I was a kid, you know, my family was so crazy. There's so much going on. I used to read all the time. Mm. I would grab books from the library. I'd go like every summer break or spring break, I'd go to the library and I'd grab the most, the most books I could check out, which was like 10 or 12 at the time. And I would grab all of them and take them home, read them within two weeks and go back and get the same amount. So I'm nice. a very avid reader. Shout out to all the avid re- readers. Yes. <laughs> readers <laughs> unite. Because when Constance said that, I was like, yes, I'm, I'm with her. Um, <laughs> it's a book for me all day. I I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bookworm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's crazy because I have more, my attention span is better with a book than it is with a movie. Because mm. I have mm. to focus in on the book. With the movie, I can be doing other things while the movie's playing. But with the book, you yeah. have. Now, I understand, like, if there's an audio book, um, you can do the same. But yeah. I'm an actual mm-hmm. physical book person, too. So mm. I need a book in hand, a quiet place. And yes, it's yeah. good for me. Well, you know. I already um, know. Like, do you really know no, what I'm about me, to say? Dang, <laughs> let me answer. answer. Okay. Goodness. Mm. Well, I was going to say yes. Yan already knows because I'm 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 the outlier here, right? I'm going uh-huh. movies. However, okay. if you ask between me and my husband, right, who's the reader who's going to pick up a book first. It's always me. I've got books. Like I'm constantly reading something. So Mm -hmm. I will say like, I, I do enjoy, and and the older I've gotten, the more I do appreciate reading. I always grew up reading books, but um, I really don't think I really had a, a a really grand appreciation for for books Mm -hmm. as much as I do now. And especially just because I've got little readers in the house too, but yeah, but but at the same time, I'm going movies all day long, and and Yana knows, like I'm a visual person. I love the arts. I love drama and music and dance and all the things and the stage. And so, mm-hmm. movies just resonate with me more. But I do agree with you, Constance, that if there's a movie that's been adapted, adapted from, from a book, movie. that the book always hands down has better description is is more descriptive has better details than mm-hmm. than the movie because obviously you you're you're having to crunch everything down into a, a smaller segment of time as where you know mm-hmm. you can go all day with the book so i understand and you guys <laughs> you know i feel y'all on the book thing but i'm gonna be the outlier and i'm going movie okay that's okay <laughs> <laughs> that's all right we're all different. Yeah. All right. Well, see, that wasn't bad. That wasn't bad, was it, Constance? That was not bad. That was pretty easy, actually. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right. So let's get to it. Yeah. I want to hear more about Constance. I want to hear more about you. So, okay, let's get to our first question. Um, I know you grew up in San Diego in the 80s. Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that experience? What was that like for you? 
Well, you know, San Diego is known as America's finest city. Oh. <laughs> did, did not know that. Right. <laughs> yes, 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 we are. But, you know, as a kid, I didn't know anything about that. I had a completely different idea of San Diego when I was a child. I grew up in a small two-bedroom apartment in the mm. ghetto, and I shared it with my eight siblings, my mother and my mostly absent father. Um, you know, we were poor. My mother was on welfare most of the time. And, um, you know, when she did work, she was cleaning houses or babysitting or whatever it was to make ends meet. So we didn't really stray too far from where we lived. We lived in a, um, in a neighborhood that was basically one hill and we kind of stayed on that hill and the hill had like rows and rows and rows of apartments. So we would, you know, run up and down the hill or, you know, be outside playing, you know, hide and seek and things like that. We really didn't go a lot of places. So, you know, my area was really, really kind of confined to a small, you know, segment of San Diego. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I did get to explore um, as a child, I really did that with school. Uh, we used to go on a lot of field trips, and one of my favorite places to this day is Babola Park because they have like 17 museums there. And so whenever we would go on a field trip, we, we most likely went there, and I could like explore and see things that I didn't get to see on a daily basis. Hmm. And then also, San Diego is, you know, there was only like six percent black people here, right. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. A lot of places that I did go, if I was outside of my neighborhood. So, you know, it was it was pretty interesting growing up in San Diego. I didn't really start um, exploring until I was, you know, 16, 17 when I got a job, uh, my first job, and I was able to have my own money to go places and do things. So, okay. so yeah, San Diego, you know, uh, not a lot of black people, <laughs> different experience than being able to go out and really um, explore and do things. You know, we didn't get to you know, go to the beach very often. We live in San Diego, there are beaches everywhere, but the only time we ever went was a holiday, right? And that would be my uncle. We rarely ever had a car. So my uncle would come to the house on a holiday, say 4th of July, and he would make, I don't know, eight trips to the house to grab all of us and take us down to the beach back and forth and back and forth just so we we could experience that, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty interesting (laughs) growing up in San Diego poor, um, in a not so great neighborhood. Um, Wow. In a minority. And even even now, like San Diego, I know a lot of black families that were here have have left just because the cost of living is so high. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to to be in an area sometimes where, you know, I live in North County right now, so I rarely see black people out here. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's kind of hard at times. But at the same time, there's a certain type of lifestyle that I like. Yeah. And so. I just want more people to come out here and be with me. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah definitely. For sure. We definitely understand that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned that you were the middle child of nine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you talk, can you talk a little bit about your household dynamics? Sorry. And, and I don't mean to, I'm going to let you answer your question, but and, and shout out to you too, because you're eighties baby. We're eighties babies too. So shout out to the eighties babies. Okay. Cause I feel like people be trying to play us and we were born in the best decade. That is all. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> 
agree. You know, I didn't know I was a millennial. Well, I'm almost a millennial. Yeah. Millennials started at 1981. I was born in 1980. Okay. Definitely a millennial. Oh, yeah, I am too. Sometimes they they get a bad rap. You made the cut. You made the cut. It's like, I don't know. What what am I? But um, Maybe it's just the latter generation of millennials. Man, I'm telling you. Telling you. But yeah, if you don't mind, can you just tell us a little bit about about the dynamics of growing up in a household with eight other kiddos in the house? What was that like? It was very chaotic, as you can imagine. Um, It seemed like my mom was basically always pregnant. There was always a a new baby in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, My father um, was an alcoholic and he was very abusive. he didn't hit us, but he often used my mom as a punching bag. So mm. when he was in the home, you know, we were always on edge. We didn't know, you know, if if he was, you know, feeling good, if he was, you know, sober, if he wasn't. And so it, it was difficult to, to live in that situation. I mean, you're in a two-bedroom apartment with so many people, and then there's nowhere to go. So if they ever got in a fight, you know, we were right there front and center. So, you know, that, that was, that was really difficult in my childhood. And then he would just disappear for, Mm -hmm. you know, years at a time. And, you know, we didn't know where he was. So my mom had to take care of us basically on her own. You know, she had a few of her siblings around to help support her, but, um, but yeah, it was all of my mom. I can't even imagine what that would be like to have, you know, nine kids and it's just you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's tough. That's different. That, that is really tough. And so, um, so growing up, I had to be very responsible. I I wasn't able to, you know, once I got a little bit older and I was able to take care of my siblings, um, so my mom could go out and work those those jobs where she was cleaning or doing something. It would be you know late afternoon, evening, and so who was there to babysit me? So mm. I kind of. Um, became like the second mother to my younger siblings. There are five kids underneath me. So um, so I played the role of a parent a lot of the time. Um, I have a story actually from my book mm-hmm. where um, uh, my younger brother and my, my mom, of course, like I said, she was always pregnant. Um, at one point in time, she, um, she was having a hard pregnancy and we had a car at that time. So we would go to the grocery store, the same grocery store every week. And we'd all get out of the car and walk around the grocery store with her. I can only imagine. And um, one day we were there and she got super dizzy and she was like, okay, you know, we're not going to shop today. Let's go. We'll have to come back another day. I'm not feeling well. Yeah. And so we all went back to the car and my older brother, um, he's about two years older than me. He's like, oh, okay, mom. Well, we can go shopping. Kanye and I can go shopping. And she was like, what? No, <laughs> you are not going shopping. Are you crazy? He's like, no, no, we can do it. We go here every week. We can do it. Aww. And she was like, hmm, all right. So uh, my mom, she always had her list written out. So my brother took the list, tore it in half and said, okay, Connie, you get this and I'm going to take this. Wow. <laughs> so we went to the store with our list. We went shopping. We knew where everything was. We met up at the register. I'm sure they could barely even see us. Our brother paid, and then we um, we went out back to the car, and that's how we shopped for the next like month or two while my mom was having her difficult pregnancy. Wow. So, how, you know, yeah. How old were y'all car. around that time? Do you remember how old you were? I was seven, and my brother was nine. That's crazy. There's something to be said, too, about that, that time period, too, because you could... 
kids could like, they could go up the street to the store or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Without parental supervision, you know, just go grab something from the store real quick for me type of <laughs> type of deal. I just could like, I just think that is just, there's too, there's, there are too many factors I think right now in our world that mm-hmm. just I wouldn't not, even allow for that. No, yeah. no mm-hmm. way, no way. So I think that just speaks to like just the time, the, the change of, the change in times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my husband is actually one of 10 and he's also mm. number five. Um, and he's definitely got lots of crazy stories. Um, his mother actually passed away when he was 12. And oh. so, yeah, so it was dad that was raising 10 kids. Ooh, yeah. By mm-hmm. himself. For me, it's actually the opposite. Um, I, I'm one of three. I'm the oldest. And literally me, my brother and my sister all grew up in three different states. We all have the same dad. We have different mothers. And so I technically felt like I grew up like an only child because my grandmother raised me. Um, My mom's mom raised me because my mother passed away in a car accident when I was three. So just, that's just interesting to hear like the dynamics and even like listening to you and just just some of the things like they just remind me of certain things like even my husband talks about just growing up, mm-hmm. just how things were kind of chaotic and where at home it was just me and my grandmother. And yes, I had other siblings, but mm-hmm. um, I, t- I technically truly did just grow up like an only child. So it was like I had to learn the older I get, got, even when I got friends, it's like, <laughs> like you have to actually share things with people. Like it's OK. Oh. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Just not that sounds horrible, and I am a sharer now. I'm a lover, okay, people. Like I will, yes. But that was something that really I had to truly learn. Opposed to when you know you grew up in a household with siblings, some things you just that's just life in the house. <laughs> it was not so much like, You didn't even think about whether or not you wanted to share. Right, right. Like that was that was technically that was an option for me. Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I just wanted to, that just made me think about a plethora of things. And uh, yeah, that's all. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. And I know, um, Constance, um, in your memoir, you share a lot of, um, you get a little deeper and share mm-hmm. more about um, your stories and your background. But your memoir is titled Emerging Butterfly, which I know is set to publish in January 2020. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the title? What inspired um, the title of Emerging Butterfly? Well, you know, have you ever um, heard uh, the story, uh, The Butterfly Struggle? No. I'm not. No, I'm not familiar. It's a little story that um, that they tell kids a lot of a lot of kids when they're little. I, I didn't hear about the story until I was adult. Okay. Um, but it's a story of a little girl who finds a caterpillar while she's walking in the park with her mother. She's super excited, wants to take the caterpillar home. Her mom says, oh, OK, yeah, you know, that caterpillar is going to turn into a butterfly. So she's very excited to see the um, transformation. So she takes it home. She's watching. She wa- she's watching. She sees that. The caterpillar finally, um, you know, spins its cocoon. And so she's waiting, waiting to see the butterfly come out. And one day she came home from school and she sees the um, cocoon moving and moving and looked like the butterfly was struggling to get out. Mm-hmm. And so she said, OK, well, I'm going to help. You know, so she grabs some scissors and opens up the cocoon and the butterfly falls out and doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. And so she's super, you know, sad and crying and mom, what's going on? It's not flying. And basically her mother told her that 
the butterfly needed to uh, push its own way out. It mm. had to find its own way out. Um, and when it does that, the um, fluid in the in the cocoon dries out as it's, as it's emerging. And that's how he, he's able to fly or, you know, they're able to fly. They have yeah. to drop their wings, right? And without that struggle, the butterfly wouldn't be able to fly. And so I really resonated with that story because I felt like I was that butterfly. Um, you know, I had to overcome so many obstacles mm. uh, to be where I am today. And no one else could help me to, uh, you know, emerge from my cocoon. I had to do that myself and I had to find that strength within me. And so that's why I feel like, you know, I'm a butterfly that had to go through a transformation to get to where I am today. We can't get where we want to be unless we have some sort of struggle that really tells us and it makes or breaks us and tells us who we are, how powerful we can be and the strength that we really hold inside. No one else is going to come and save you or rescue you or, you know, change your life. You have to do that yourself. And so we can either be victims or we can, you know, be warriors and you know I chose to be a warrior so those struggles I had you know really led me to the life and the the person that I am today so those struggles is what resonated with me when I heard the butterfly story man you told that story and I literally got I looked at Yana I was like I got chills (laughs) man that's a I, you told the story of the butterfly emerging, like so beautiful. And then the way you just kind of, you know, you, you intersected your life into that, man, what a perfect title. Um, and I think just meaningful for, I think anybody just taking on that mindset of, of how you view life, um, Mm Mm-hmm. from the perspective of a of an emerging butterfly i know constance you you all in your memoir you talk about your first marriage at a young age um what what was it what did you learn about yourself i learned that uh, marriage shouldn't define who you are mm-hmm. so you know i got lost in the idea of marriage you know like a fairy tale like a romantic comedy you know where I'm going to meet this man, we're going to fall in love and I'm going to be happy the rest of my life. Yeah. And so even though I saw a very dysfunctional marriage when I grew up, mm-hmm. um, I'm, my parents married and divorced each other three times. Wow. So, you know, I wanted something different and I thought, okay, I found the right person. This person's not going to leave. This person's going to love me and we're going to be together forever. So, um, I look to someone else for my happiness and mm-hmm. I thought marriage would do that for me. And, you know, that's just me being very naive. And I learned the hard way that, you know, you can't make anyone love you. You can't change anyone. You can't force anyone to want to stay with you if they don't want to be there. And yeah. so I couldn't find my fulfillment in someone else. And I thought I could with marriage. And the reason why I was looking for that is because I felt that, you know, I had a void inside myself Mm -hmm. from growing up. You know, I had two broken parents. My mother came from a family of seven, Mm -hmm. um, and both of her parents were alcoholics. And there was abuse in her home. So she recreated the cycle that she had when she grew up in the home with us. And the same with my father. 
he was one of seven. His father was an alcoholic. He used mm. to beat all the kids. His mother committed suicide oh. when he was only, you know, five, five years old. My goodness. And so, you know, he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. So these two people came together, had all these children, and my mom was alone with us. So she didn't have time to really, you know, get to know us as individuals to help cultivate, you know, who we were. Mm-hmm. We were just, you know, almost like numbers. She loved us, but she was more concerned and making sure we had a, a, a roof over our head right. and food to eat and, and those things. So I don't, I didn't get that one-on-one, um, relationship with her and with my father being absent most of the time. I didn't have a male, role model in my life yeah. you know, I had my uncles and teachers and different people here and there but I didn't have that that relationship and I felt like that was one of the things that um created a void in me and so I yeah. sought that out you know in a man in marriage and that is not what you need to do you have to figure out who you are you have to go through trials and tribulations mm-hmm. you have to really dig deep to find out who it, what's your identity yeah. what's your purpose and until you know that, you can't be a partner to anyone. That's you can't right. Love them. You can't love yourself if you don't know who you are. And I didn't know who I was at that time. So, so marriage is nothing to be taken lightly yeah. <laughs> at all. And, you know, it's raw. It takes selflessness. Yes. A lot of vulnerability, and yes. if you're not someone, yes. yeah, absolutely. Check all not, those boxes off. Yes, yes. And if you can't be vulnerable with anyone else, then you know you're you're setting yourself up because you know without that vulnerability, you can't get to know you can't get to know each other, yep. and you can't have that really transparent, trusting relationship with someone else if you can't be vulnerable and I wasn't vulnerable in my first marriage Mm -hmm. you know I have walls up and different things it was just a lot of different factors that went into that but but yeah I had to realize that you know for for anyone you have to find um out who you are know your identity know your purpose before you can be married to anyone yeah how old were you mind me asking how old were you when you got married first time I was and I wasn't that young I was 28 Oh wow! Yeah, I was yeah. twenty-two when I got when I originally you got married. Yeah, oh, okay. I feel like I was yeah. really young. Yeah. I think I was twenty-four. I feel like I was young, but yeah, no, <laughs> I was twenty-eight. But still, you I know, think anybody, you know. But you're right, though, because you say twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-eight. There's something about you know just yeah. entering into marriage. You just don't in really twenties because you're still kind of. I think you're at that stage in your life where you're still, you know. You're really now becoming one with yourself. Yeah. And you're learning about yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot of work and vulnerability, um, and like Yana said, you're just really getting to really know yourself, really kind of mm-hmm. f- coming fully into your adulthood, and yeah, and you got to realize like marriage is not, it's, oh, it's about me. It's mm-hmm. really about the other the other person in a sense of like. Y- you're sharing this, you're becoming one, but you're sharing mm-hmm. this life together. And you like the decisions you make, you have to be cognizant of that, that person mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so many, so many things we could talk about marriage all day long. Oh yeah. my goodness. You know, we, we really could. <laughs> marriage is deep. It, it is, is super, yes. super deep. <laughs> that may be in your next book. I'm okay. Just saying, um, okay. <laughs> I'll focus on that. What that means. Girl. Yeah, absolutely. Girl. And, and then you talk about, 
yeah. Yes. And then you talk about that void of you're trying to feel from, you know, the lack of relationship that you had with your father. Like that resonates with me. Like I get that. I get that so much. And how that does play a factor is for women um, Mm -hmm. entering relationships and entering marriage. And, you know, sometimes when that's not that relationship isn't whole, it does affect Mm -hmm. you and it affects how you view you may view men or how you view yeah. marriage. So yeah, yeah, that's all I'm done talking. <laughs> no, it's so true. You're so right. <laughs> yeah. To mm-hmm. Tarion's point, just uh, want to ask you, cause you've experienced quite a, uh, a bit of like different life experiences mm-hmm. um, before, you know, you reach the, reach the age of 30. Um, what would you say, you know, how did all those experiences collectively shape you to the woman that you are today? Um, I learned that the whole point of life really is to overcome, to Mm. struggle, to break through and beyond. And once you do that, you're able to fly, you know, fly, you know, life, uh, the universe is limitless and all things are possible, but you have to fight and accept your scars if you're going to, you know, shed that skin and emerge as something stronger, you know, fiercer, more beautiful um, with me. So, Uh, In my book, I talk a lot about, you know, surviving the darkness of the cocoon so you can emerge in the light of day. And so all of those experiences shaped me to where I could say, you know what, even though I came from this, the the world is my oyster and I can be whoever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do. And maybe I would have been complacent if I grew up in another, you know, in another family or in in a different situation. Um, You know, I had to go through my own personal journey of struggle and overcoming in order to really be able to, to live my best life and mm. to, to feel fulfilled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so coming out on the other side of, of things, right. And, you know, triumphing, o- triumphing over your adversity and really becoming a victor, I think over so many things, why was it important for you to share your personal journey uh, specifically in this manner through a book? You know, because I think sometimes when people look at me or when people look at other people that they want to aspire to or be like, or, you know, think that they grew up and had a certain type of life. Mm -hmm. A lot of people look at me and they think, Oh, your life must have been perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. you're so happy and you're so bubbly and, you know, you, you, you have all these things happening and you're doing a lot of great things. You know, they don't think about, or even, yeah, they don't think about where I could have come from Mm -hmm. because they only see one, one facet of me. So, you know, I wanted to share my experience of, you know, of love and loss and, and, um, you know, struggle. I wanted to show that because I interact with people every day in my community and it never fails to amaze me how complex and incredible we all are. Right. Um, but there are stories within all of us and that have shaped us all. And if we don't share those stories with other people, how can we as a community come together and help one another? We have to be willing to share and learn and teach. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I just decided to share my, my story. Um, you know, and it is a little, you know, frightening, right? Because I'm putting it all out there in the world for people Mm -hmm. to know things that I thought I'd never tell anybody. And, you know, it's all in my book, but you know, I think that my story can help someone. And so even if it's just one person, I know that it can. And so 
it's worth it to me yeah. to tell my story. Mm-hmm. And we just appreciate you being yeah. so open and transparent Man. and sharing your story because um, there's so many things in this that I know is going to re- reach, touch, and teach others and other people that are struggling through mm-hmm. uh, or you know, are going through similar um, situations of their own. And mm-hmm. one thing in particular that I know was, um, sorry, <laughs> one thing that was... Um, <laughs> An experience that you um, had you faced um, more than, um, on more than one occasion mm-hmm. um, is the difficulty of going through miscarriage and mm-hmm. um, and that level of heartbreak. Um, could you share a little bit about that story and you know talk to us how you you know managed through you know how did you go through that yeah. experience? Mm-hmm. Well, like you mentioned, you know I've. I've had problems with fertility. Um, I, I've had five miscarriages mm. from the age of 26 all the way up to 34. And, you know, it was really hard to deal with, you know, in the beginning. I mean, it doesn't get easier. In, in fact, for me, it got harder with each pregnancy loss that I did have. Mm. Um, and it took me, it took me years to come to terms with the pain and really dig deep and, and, and basically identify that I was still grieving inside and I never really let it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of ignored it and I didn't talk about it. And, you know, I would grieve for a week or two or maybe even a few months, but I did it alone. Mm-hmm. I suffered in silence. Yes, I had a partner with me and my partners, you know, my, my ex, my first husband, he was supportive when we were going through miscarriages. My husband that I have now has been supportive when we went through our miscarriages, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's different when it's you, right? Because it's, it's physical, it's mental, you know, it takes over your whole body and, and it's something that you can't just push aside and not talk about, not think about because all you do is bury it. And I felt like I buried it for a long time and I didn't really discuss it with anyone. So, so Getting through it, you know, ultimately I had to go through a lot of therapy mm-hmm. because I pushed it down really far because I didn't want to face it. And, you know, the, I'll talk a little bit about them. Like the first one I had, you know, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 26, <laughs> 26 at the time. And I was just like, oh my God, okay, we're pregnant. All right, well, I guess we'll do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, right? And then, you know, we lost it, uh, you know, a few weeks later. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that sucks. Well, you know, I was sad. We were like, uh, we could try again. The doctor said, you know, one in four women, you know, experience miscarriages. Right. It's normal. You know, your next pregnancy should be totally fine. Mm. So then we're like, okay. So we got married and we tried again. And I had another miscarriage. And so, you know, that was tough. And they said, okay, two times. The doctor said, okay, two times. You know, the third time, you know, you should be really, you should be okay. Because there's no reason why you're having, you don't see anything wrong with you. Mm. And so, you know, third time happened again. And this time I had, I had, um, come to the 12 week point, right? Yeah. I was probably around 14 weeks or so and I lost it again. And mm. that was just, oh my God, the worst experience because that one happened while I was shopping at a mall with my mother-in-law for a New Year's Eve dress. 
Oh my goodness. I, I hemorrhaged in the mall. Oh and my goodness. I woke goodness. up in a hospital bed to find out that I lost my baby. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just got worse, <laughs> you know? So there was that. And then with my current husband, my fourth, um, my fourth loss was, um, at 19 weeks. So, um, I don't think I mentioned this actually that I have epilepsy. So that was one of the other things I struggled with growing up at yeah. 19. After I had a car accident, I was <clears throat> diagnosed with epilepsy. So that was another one of the challenges I had to go through. Mm. And it also contributes to, you know, um, some challenges with being pregnant and having babies and carrying mm-hmm. carrying healthy babies. <clears throat> and so, you know, um, with that fourth pregnancy, I was on my medication for my epilepsy. I take it every day, twice a day. And so, you know, there's other things that I had to take to make sure that the baby, you know, didn't get spina bifida or, mm. you know, other different um, abnormalities. So I had been doing all that. We we got our test and they told, oh, the baby doesn't have spina bifida. You're doing great. You know, but I was, you know, in my 30s at this point, I was 34, mm-hmm. um, you know, so you get to 35 and that's kind of like when, you know, you're more at a higher risk for yeah. pregnancy anyway. And then with the epilepsy and taking the medication on top of it, that was another thing. And so I just felt like I had so many things that I was afraid of and could potentially happen with this pregnancy. And then my history, right, of having so many miscarriages, it was just a very terrifying experience. But, you know, we were so excited. We were like, okay, things are going good. I'm not bleeding. You know, it's going pretty well. And so, but because it was high risk, they said, okay, you know, at 18 weeks, we need you to go get this high risk um, ultrasound. And so we're like, okay, right. We go, we get the ultrasound. We find out that the baby, you know, um, has um, water in the brain. Mm. I think of the term hydro. Hydrocephalus. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I can never remember how to pronounce that word. But yeah. So, um, so they told me that we should turn. Mm. And. I, you know, at that point, I, I was, I was showing. Yeah. I, you know, I my my breasts were enlarged, or yeah. you know, everything from top to bottom. I was fully pregnant, and that was the most devastating thing because we had to make the decision. At least with the the previous miscarriages, they I hadn't got to this point, right? yeah. and they were a, a bit easier to to go in and have a quick. B and C, mm-hmm. not to say that that's quick because that's, that's right. an experience in itself. Right. But um, but you know, it was over right away this time. We and we didn't have real control over that. That the baby, you know, the heart may have stopped or whatever. I was already yeah. in the process process of miscarrying for various reasons. Yeah. But this one was where we had to make the decision to to you know end the pregnancy, and that was the hardest thing that I've ever done. Yeah. So. So going through that, I think, really, really showed me what I was made of. And I didn't have many people to talk to about it. And so I knew if I was able to share my story with other women, say you're not alone, that, you know, these things happen and you're you're still a woman because I was ashamed and I felt like my body betrayed me and mm. who would want to be married to me if I couldn't, you know, give them children, um, you know, what's wrong with me. Mm. I had all those thoughts and I was really depressed and it took a lot for me to come out. And again, I went back into therapy. I had to do real work. 
yeah. in order to be able to be where I am today and to have come to acceptance with it and knowing that, you know, maybe this isn't the route for me, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. you know, and it could still be the route that people want to go through in the future. If they, they've had multiple losses and they still want to continue to, to try to get pregnant, then do you then do it? Yeah. But for the women that have been going through and have decided that, Hey, you know, Maybe there are other options, you know, that these things happen to women all over. Maybe I don't want to go this route after having these issues in the past, right? Mm -hmm. That I can have someone to talk to about it and not feel judged and not feel like, you know, there's something wrong with me. And so I feel like if I can tell my story about my loss and about, you know, accepting myself and accepting my body regardless of if I can have children or not, knowing that I'm a full person, that I'm whole and that, you know, if I have a supportive partner, it doesn't matter whether or not I can bring children in the world. We can help other people. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. Man. That's a long explanation. Girl, (laughs) no, 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 no. That was new. Once again, I don't even know how many times we can just say, like, thank you for sharing so much of your life with us um, and our listeners, man, because I'm telling you this. Yeah, this is going to be helpful for so many, so many people. And I think even for individuals who who may not have experienced, um, Mm -hmm. you know, pregnancy loss, like just the fight in you and you just being able to overcome so many obstacles and share your story with, with people, um, is so inspiring. Um, so like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, we are in the month of October and, uh, it actually finally feels like October here in Texas, Mm -hmm. like literally to the day, day, literally today, it finally feels like October. Um, But um, October is National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, right? Um, Can you just talk to us a little bit uh, about about um, about the significance of of, uh, National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month and and how it came to be? You know, it's funny because I really didn't know about this <laughs> yeah. until a few years ago. I was just like shocked that this even existed because I didn't know when I was going through all of my loss. But mm. in uh, 1988, President uh, Reagan made October National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Month because he knew that a lot of families were suffering in silence and there wasn't any way to describe it, right? Because he said like, you know, when a child loses its parent, they're considered an orphan, right? Or when a spouse loses their partner, they're called a widow or widower. But when parents lose their children, there isn't a word to describe that. And so people don't know how to react. They don't know how to support. They don't know what they should say or what they shouldn't say. And so this month is all about creating awareness educating people and also giving an opportunity for those who have lost to talk about it and to be comforted and to be supported and to teach other people how to be there for them when they're going through things. So, so yeah, it's something that, you know, really resonates with me because of where I've been, but also I know that, you know, by, by being a part of this and bringing awareness to other people that they're able to, um, to, to be more compassionate, yeah. to be more empathetic, um, and to just be there. And it doesn't take a lot to show your support. 
Mm-hmm. And actually on the 15th, there's a thing called the wave of light. So at uh, 7 p.m. all over the world, people light candles. Um, they, uh, they go to parks and different things and just as a community come together to remember those that they've lost. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, um, the point that you made, Tarian, about how, you know, Constance, through your story, you telling us that it not only helps people and individuals and women and, you know, families in general that are our experiences, but for those that, it doesn't directly affect, but um, it, it still is significant. It still holds significance. Um, how? What would you say? Um, what can family and friends do yeah. to support women who have experienced this type of loss um, during their pregnancy or infancy? Well, you know, everyone grieves in their own way and um, the grief process is different for every person. Right. Um, But the most important thing I think you could do is just be present with that person. Mm -hmm. Know that, you know, let them know that that you're there. And, you know, that could be something as simple as a hug or, you know, holding someone someone's hand or just letting them cry or you know things like that just being present you know saying I'm sorry this is happening to you um you know sometimes you know this involves you know stillbirths and babies who have died with cysts and things Mm -hmm. like that so you know if you know the baby's name talk about the baby with the the mother like you know um we'll remember you know whatever their name is forever and you know we understand that you're going through this and you had a loss you know things like that to make them really feel that you're in it with them that you're supporting them um you know if they if they have any pictures of their babies you know ask them to show them to you say you know if you have anything you want to share you can share it with me some of them really want to talk about it mm-hmm. um and you know things like that um you just you can support them by just being there yeah i love the thing you said about like if that baby already even even if the baby was lost maybe during pregnancy or something like that mm-hmm. like if you've already had a name for the baby like you know referencing the baby by by their name um, that was still a that that was still a person, an individual, a human being, um, and we want to make sure you know you're honoring that life still. So I think that's beautiful. That um, I think all, all the things you just said, but that that there's something about like referencing the baby by by its name um, definitely stood out to me. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I know that you and your husband, his name is his name Claude. Claude, yeah. Claude. Both CJs. Okay. <laughs> CJ, Claude. Yeah, the CJs. Um, he he is also, he's a co-founder with you um, of your charitable organization, Elevate Foundation. Can you just briefly tell us a little bit about um, what Elevate Foundation is and what, and your mission? So, um, yes, my husband and I, we did start it. And part of the reason we started is we really wanted to, give back to our community, but also, you know, with everything that we've been through with trying to create a family of our own and not being able to, um, we wanted to come out on the other side of, you know, that heartbreak and that pain and use it in a way that could help other people. And 
And by helping, you know, it reduced a lot of the sadness because mm. we're able to see, you know, all children as our children. Yeah. And so when we started Elevate, you know, we we decided that we were going to put a focus into supporting the underserved youth of color and providing them with resources and opportunities, just like we would have done for our children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I'm sorry. I'm an ad-libber, okay? I don't sing. I be trying to sing, but I'm telling you when I talk, I ad-lib a lot. Or if someone else is talking, I do ad-lib. I apologize. (laughs) No, it's all good. I, You know, I do that too. And I was trying not to make make sure I'm not doing that. Girl, go ahead. You're talking. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. But no, because kind of to um, piggy off of that uh, in your foundation, uh, do you service just more the San Diego area or is this open to, you know, outside well, right now, um, because uh, our foundation is not a nonprofit, okay. it's basically my husband and I. We got together, we created, you know, our own our own group, and said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna take, you know, our ten percent of our income and give it away every year to organizations that we okay. believe in." And so, wow. um, all of the people that we have helped have been within our community, within the San Diego area. Um, I'm not sure what the future of Elevate could be, if we'll eventually become a nonprofit or not. Mm-hmm. If we did, I could see us probably, you know, uh, expanding. But right now, I mean, there's so much need just in our city. Yeah. Um, with the, 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 um, the youth um, being underserved. I mean, we, we uh, have partnered with, you know, just-in-time foster youth. And um, they're a great organization. They help kids um, all the way up until they're 26. Wow. Um, that, you know, are in the foster care system. Yeah. And they help them get um, their driver's license, get them their first home, you know, teach them financial skills. And yes. Different things like that. And that's just one. I mean, there's so many. We partnered with Feeding San Diego. We partnered with um, Girls Rising. Last year, I did a lot with um, girls groups. I did. Um, partnered with Girls Rising with their STEM event. Uh, we worked with Girls on the Run, getting girls involved in, you know, activities to keep them out of trouble. Um, you know, let's see, Detour, it's a, um, it's a group um, that serves um, black young ladies yeah. in the inner city of San Diego. Um, we were able to help them with school supplies this year and get them um, laptops. So, you know, we have really, really been trying to, um, serve the underserved area of San Diego where we're from. Man, that's beautiful. I, th- I think it just says a lot about um, you and your husband's character. Um, for y'all to experience so much loss and yet still you choose to give. Yes. I think it's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Like, <laughs> yeah, <Thank you>. my <laughs> eyes are sweating a little bit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Good grief. You know, it, it, it really does. It, it, makes us happy to be able to to help and to give and you know it it took away a lot of the pain because I think when people are going through things and it's so easy like you said earlier to become a victim and you know to just just lay down and you know be depressed and not do anything but one of the ways that you can get over a lot of that is by getting up and helping someone else Mm -hmm. and realizing hey you know this is hard but 
a lot of people have it a lot worse than me. Mm-hmm. I have the ability to get up and do something for someone else. Come on, It doesn't somebody. have to be financial. It could be, you know, serving at a, a kitchen. You may meet other people, have similar experiences and meet new friends and talk. And, you know, there's just so many benefits to giving. Yeah. Constance, you are my shero. <laughs> I'm <Right>. telling you. <laughs> she didn't just knock that way on up to the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. I'm a trash human being right now. (laughs) Oh, thank you, ladies. I'm so happy to have done my first podcast with you. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so um, thank you again so much for sharing and going that deep. And and I know, Mm -hmm. guys, when you get this book, oh my, Uh, yes, when you get the book. Yes. Yes, she... Oh my gosh, Constance! I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you, I can't even get the words out. I'm just so <laughs> inspired about, you know, just. I don't mean to make this personal, but um, a lot of things that you experience and just the difficulty and how that you were able to conquer it on the other side and just seeing, you know, the beauty of your story. Um, I don't know. It, it just resonates with me in so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, even some of the things that we, that I don't, I may not identify in your experience because I didn't experience those things, but mm-hmm. just, I don't know, every experience is different, but yeah. just the fact that to see how you conquered it all is just amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's just Thank amazing. you so much. Thank you so much. You know, I've always had people in my life that have stepped in at critical point mm-hmm. as well, you know, to really help push me, when I felt that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do, do anymore when I was ready to give up. And, you know, I thank God for that, right? Because yeah. he put those people in my life for a reason. And again, you know, if I can be that light for someone else, or, you know, if you can do that for someone else, then, you know, you you don't know what's possible. You know, they, you could have saved that person from committing suicide the next day yeah. or, you know, j- just doing something terrible or not loving themselves. You know, mm. you could help that person get to that next step in life just by caring, just by being there. And I thank God I had a teacher that was able to do for that for me, a counselor, um, you know, a brother. I've had people that were really there when I needed it most. Yeah. yeah. So I have to thank them as well. Yeah. Okay, as we draw near to a close, we do have a few um, closing questions that we want to end with. Um, First, um, we always like to ask this question to our guests. Um, What would you say would be your theme song for 2019? If you could think of one song, Um, it doesn't have to be a song that was, you know, released in 2019, but just any song that resonates with you your journey mm, goodness gracious <laughs> ah, there's so many, you know i've been listening to a lot of lizzo lately <laughs> G- yeah see lizzo okay is lizzo is, is i'm not mad i'm not mad so you know any well i like good as hell but i also like like a girl yeah so those are my two jams right now from lizzo I okay. Sound old with singing jams, but you know, no. those are my bangers. No, you speaking to you, 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 <laughs> you are in good company. Okay, you say jams, we say jams. It's jams. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Lizzo. Okay, so what's next 
for Constance? What is next for Constance? I mean, I know you've got this book coming out in January of 2020. Um, and we are just so excited about the release of this. But is do you have anything else in the works? What else is what's next for you? Um, what's next? I will be uh, speaking on the power of giving um, for the Get Shit Done Summit okay. um, in November. Um, in November, I'll also be um, speaking at the Empty Cradle Organization's Walk to Remember. Um, they are an organization that supports women um, who have had uh, pregnancy loss and early infant loss. Mm. I've been partnering with them. I'm actually going to one of their board meetings for the first time tomorrow. So wow. but I'll be speaking and there'll be about 500 people at the walk. Oh, so, wow. I know. Good stuff, so, girl. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I need to get my practice on because that's a lot of people. I haven't done that yet. So just warming up in my practice in there. Yeah. But yeah, so I'll be doing that. And, um, yeah, just working on wrapping up all the things for the book and uh, starting to, you know, send out my uh, advanced reading copies, um, things like that. So making sure that all my ducks in a row. So when it comes out in January, like I'm good to go. Um, so, yeah, I'll probably be um, uh, doing a few other speaking engagements um, pretty soon. Uh, yeah. So that's about it for me right now. But yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if we said I, I'm not sure if we did. We probably did earlier in the show. I'm sorry. But the name of your book is The Emerging Butterfly or is it Emerging Butterfly? It's Emerging Butterfly. OK. Yes. Emerging the Butterfly. The website is The Emerging Butterfly. And I also have my own website as well under Constance G. Jones. But you can get the book on The Emerging Butterfly. We'll make sure we link everything in our show notes on our website. So we got you, Constance. Yes. And <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Also, yes. How can our listeners um, also connect with you? I know you said you have your site, Constance G. Jones. Um, mm-hmm. And they can also, again, um, reach out and get your, you know, get an advanced copy of your book on the emerging butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, are there any, is there a way that, you know, our listeners can connect and, you know, social oh, media? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, they can definitely um, contact me through uh, Instagram, Constance G. Jot, uh, dot Jones, yeah. and um, connect with me there. Um, yeah, and I have Facebook as well. Um, yeah, so any of those work. Um, I mean, I have all four areas. All right. Oh, they can, they can uh, contact me through Facebook as well for Elevate Foundation or Elevate uh, dot Foundation um, a website as well. Sounds good. Very good. Well, thank you again so much, Constance. Yes. Um, I, we hope that this is not your last time on on Melanated Conversations. Yeah, no, we it's not. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're inviting me back. Oh, oh, oh yes. I'd love to come back. This thank is an official invite me. back. Yeah, yes. you are coming back, okay? <laughs> I have so much more to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, good, good. like Yana just said, we just want to thank you once again for coming on, sharing your story with us, having a nice little chit chat with us, ladies, mm-hmm. and uh, and most importantly, amplifying the voices and stories of black women. That's what we love to do here on this show. And, yes. and that's what we did today. And until then, melanate, melanate on that. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed our chat today. Keep the conversation going by heading to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leaving us a review. Have a story of your own to share? 
Email us at info at melanatedconversations.com or connect with us on social media at Melanated Conversations. Till next time, keep raising your voice.